Section 20 of The Age of Elizabeth by Mandel Creighton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Book 6, Chapter 2, The Spanish Armada. To meet the threatened danger, Elizabeth took the only step she could. She supplied Henry of Navarre with money to enable him to make head against the League in France, and she made an alliance of stricter amity with the Scottish king, whereby both powers bound themselves to maintain the cause of Protestantism and help one another in case of an invasion. But though the open conflict was drawing nearer, the secret war of plots and assassinations did not abate its vigour. A plot for the Queen's death was hatched in the seminary at Reims, and was communicated to the Spanish ambassador in France. In England, anthony babington was charged with carrying out the scheme and he soon gathered round him a band of catholic fanatics their object was to kill elizabeth set mary free and make her queen by spanish help the plot was communicated to mary and received her sanction and approval the conspirators however had not conducted their plans with sufficient secrecy the plot was known to elizabeth's watchful secretary sir francis walsingham Few things are more surprising in the history of this period than the dexterity with which both Walsingham and William of Orange organized a system of spies and obtained information of their opponents' measures. Walsingham had his creatures in every court of Europe. Even in the Jesuit colleges he had men in his pay. The perilous state of affairs and the unscrupulous diplomacy of the time had made a system of espionage a necessary part of statesmanship when hypocrisy and deceit formed so great a part of politics they could only be met by more profound and elaborate dissimulation walsingham knew of the plot at once but he saw in it a means of implicating mary and involving her in treasonable practices he did not immediately apprehend the conspirators but allowed them to go on till he could get clear evidence of mary's complicity into his hands in this elizabeth agreed she had the courage to expose herself to the dangers of this conspiracy which might at any moment break upon her in order to give walsingham time for his discoveries the conspirators communicated with mary by means of a man who was in walsingham's employ letters passed between them concealed in beer-barrels which were carried in for the use of mary's household but a copy of every letter was taken by walsingham's secretary on the way at last when proof enough had been obtained walsingham's toils closed round the plotters they were taken prisoners and confessed mary was kept in ignorance of their fate during her absence from her room her papers were all seized and the evidence of her restless plotting was laid before elizabeth babington and his companions were executed in september fifteen eighty six as to mary elizabeth's ministers were determined to be rid of her and free the country before the hour of its extremest peril of the danger which her presence had always brought elizabeth was hard to manage in this matter she was willing to be rid of mary but shrank from the odium which mary's death would bring upon herself at length a commission of forty-six privy councillors and noblemen was appointed to try mary commonly called queen of scots under the provisions of the act passed two years before for elizabeth's protection mary was taken to fotheringay castle in northamptonshire and the trial began 
at first mary refused to answer saying that she did not acknowledge the jurisdiction of the court over a queen but she at last consented to plead the evidence was heard and on october twenty fifth sentence was pronounced against mary on the ground of privity to babington's plot for the hurt death and destruction of the royal person mary had been condemned but elizabeth hesitated to order the execution of a queen a near relative to herself who had sought refuge in her kingdom and whom she had kept for nineteen years in confinement parliament petitioned that the sentence should be carried into effect and that the seed plot of so many conspiracies should be removed elizabeth paused before she could resolve she even made overtures to have mary privily put out of the way that so she might avoid the responsibility of a decision at last she signed the warrant for mary's execution but gave no orders that it should be carried out her secretary davison at once took action upon it and mary was beheaded in fotheringay castle on february eighth fifteen eighty seven it is impossible not to feel a certain amount of sympathy for mary round whose personal history so much romance has gathered yet her death was necessary for england's safety she had not spent her years of confinement as a pining captive her days were passed in constant intrigues and plottings she was not merely a passive but an active enemy to elizabeth and to england she represented in her own person all that was opposed to elizabeth's quiet and to the peace of protestant england of this fact she was always conscious and hoped at every turn of affairs not only for liberty but for the english throne so long as she lived england could not offer a united front to foreign foes when she died the citizens of london kindled bonfires and rang merry peals of bells a weight was lifted from men's minds and they began to breathe more freely elizabeth's conduct was most unworthy but was extremely characteristic she professed that she had never intended the warrant to be carried into effect she expressed the greatest indignation against davison who was brought to trial for contempt was severely fined and never afterwards received into the royal favour she put on mourning for mary and sent excuses to james the sixth of scotland she hoped in this childish way to reap the advantage of the deed which had been done and to avoid the responsibility of the blame which it brought mary's death was a distinct defiance to the catholic powers pope sixtus v expressed boundless indignation he made dr allen the founder of the seminary a cardinal he offered philip a large sum of money to help him in his invasion of england on his side philip slowly bestirred himself he furbished up claims of his own to the english throne mary's death had increased his eagerness to attack england by giving him a greater interest in the result so long as mary lived he must fight in her name now he might fight in his own he was however restrained during the year fifteen eighty seven by the unfavourable aspect of affairs in france the league had not prospered so well at first as philip the second had wished henry the third's submission to it had been too prompt it was probable that the moderate catholics might still win the day under the king's leadership their policy was to convert henry of navarre the heir presumptive to catholicism and so to unite france under one religion into a powerful kingdom 
this was opposed entirely to the views of philip and the leaguers they wished for the absolute triumph of catholicism under the protection of the king of spain they aimed at excluding henry of navarre and entirely destroying the huguenots until it had been decided which of these parties should carry the day philip could not withdraw his attention from france in fifteen eighty seven troops were sent by the german and the swiss protestants to the aid of the huguenots the campaign that followed has been called the war of the three henrys for henry the third henry of navarre and henry of guise each led his own army into the field henry of navarre was successful at coutras in defeating the army sent against him under the command of the duke of joyeuse it was the first battle the huguenots had as yet won and filled them with hopes of their young leader the french and german troops were cut off from joining the huguenots by the army under henry the third who being anxious to settle the war peaceably prevailed upon them to withdraw and carry on no further enterprise against the french crown the germans projected an attack on guise who had his own army under his command guise was however too strong for them they were defeated at ono and driven with great slaughter out of the kingdom thus then the huguenots had been successful and the violent catholics had also been successful but the moderate policy of the king seemed to be only half-hearted and on his return to paris he met with a cold reception from the people his position was indeed a false one as each of the two powerful parties in the kingdom had its determined supporters while the king could not make up his mind to ally himself with either he had the confidence of neither party and in paris an association of the citizens was formed for the aid of the catholic princes the people of paris were fanatically catholic they had been trained by the massacre of st bartholomew's day and were ready again to act with decision in support of their beliefs henry of guise was their idol and he was a man well fitted to be a popular leader he was an accomplished cavalier and a brave soldier his appearance was commanding and he had a rare combination of bodily and mental vigour by his frankness and geniality he attached his soldiers to himself in the camp by his geniality affability and courtesy he won the hearts of the people in the city the king felt that he was without influence in paris and that plots were being laid against him he threatened vengeance and the people summoned the duke of guise to come to their protection against the king's orders guise entered paris on may ninth fifteen eighty eight the king ordered his swiss guards who were quartered in the suburbs to enter the city the citizens indignant at the threat rose against him the streets were defended by barricades and the dismissal of the troops was demanded six thousand guards were useless against the fury of half a million of people the guards were driven out and the king fled from the city guise was left master of paris on may twelfth fifteen eighty eight and the king found himself again obliged to undertake the destruction of heresy and to make guise lieutenant-general of the kingdom when philip the second's party had won this decisive victory in france he felt that he was free to make his attempt upon england moreover the daring of english seamen made it necessary for him to take some decided step to vindicate the power of spain at sea in april fifteen eighty seven drake sailed from plymouth with a fleet of twenty-five vessels and entered the harbour of cadiz he defeated the ships sent against him 
and destroyed some forty or fifty vessels besides an immense store of provisions which philip was preparing for his expedition against england when he had done all the harm he could he went on to cape st vincent where he again did much damage to the ships and stores he meant to have continued his voyage to the azores to wait for the spanish ships coming home from the indies but his fleet was dispersed by a storm however he was still able to capture one of the largest of the spanish ships the san felipe laden with treasure from the indies with this rich prize he returned to plymouth on june twenty sixth he certainly had done his best to singe king philip's beard as he had vowed to do the spoil of the san felipe alone paid for the expenses of the expedition and gave good profits to those who had ventured their money to equip it it was intolerable to philip that these indignities should be endured his preparations were thrown back for a time but in the end of may fifteen eighty eight his fleet for the conquest of england put to sea the most fortunate and invincible armada as it was called consisted of a fleet of one hundred and thirty two ships manned by eight thousand seven hundred and sixty six sailors and two thousand eighty eight galley slaves and carrying twenty one thousand eight hundred and fifty five soldiers as well as three hundred monks priests and officers of the inquisition who were to begin their work of the conversion of england the moment the landing was effected the plan was that alexander of parma was to join them somewhere in the channel with seventeen thousand spanish troops from the netherlands there would thus be an army of fifty thousand men for the invasion of england elizabeth's preparations were sadly deficient though she had seen philip's preparations she had been lulled into security by feigned negotiations of alexander of parma she seems to have refused until the danger was actually upon her to contemplate the possibility of an actual encounter with spain she hoped till the last moment that she might make peace for herself by abandoning the netherlands to philip when she discovered her delusion preparations were still slowly and sparingly made neither fleet nor army was properly raised or equipped there were only thirty-four ships of the royal navy containing six thousand two hundred and seventy-nine men but the seaport towns sent out their vessels and noblemen and gentlemen on every side manned all the ships they could and placed them at their country's service with one mind and one purpose england met its peril if philip's invasion had come earlier when mary of scotland was still alive it might have found england distracted now that mary was dead philip had no longer any plea by which he could appeal to the english people the invasion bore no religious character it was regarded merely as an act of foreign aggression catholics as well as protestants gathered round the queen and armed themselves for her defence the armada was long in reaching england its galleons and galleasses were huge unwieldy vessels magnificent for a pageant but hard to manage either in a storm or a fight they expressed the stately grandeur of the spanish character as well as its inability to learn from the teaching of experience three weeks were spent in sailing from lisbon to cape finisterre not till the middle of july were they seen off the lizard point the lord high admiral charles lord howard of effingham at once put out from plymouth harbour with sixty ships charles lord howard though by no means the most experienced sailor at elizabeth's command was well fitted for his post 
he was popular amongst the sailors and was both bold and prudent moreover he had skill enough to know those who had more skill than himself and to follow their instructions so that the queen had a navy of oak and an admiral of osier under him served such daring and experienced seamen as hawkins drake and frobisher men whose names were already a terror to the spaniards and who had borne round the world the fame of english seamanship and courage the english watched the huge spanish fleet pass by very slowly though with full sails the winds being as it were weary with wafting them and the ocean groaning under their weight howard allowed it to pass by on its way up the channel to join with parma his tactics were to hang upon its rear and take advantage of its mishaps with his smaller and lighter vessels which sailed twice as fast as the clumsy spanish ships the spaniards wished to force an engagement in which they trusted to their superior weight and numbers but the english could choose their own time to advance or retreat from saturday july twentieth to saturday july twenty seventh the english followed the spaniards on their way to calais roadsteads inflicting on them many losses cutting off their stragglers and taking advantage of all their mistakes on sunday july twenty eighth the two fleets faced one another the spaniards lay off calais waiting for the arrival of alexander of parma over against them lay the english fleet increased now to about a hundred and forty sail though the ships were much smaller than the heavy spanish vessels it was no longer possible for the english to put off an engagement if the spanish fleet were to advance to dunkirk drive back the ships of the hollanders which at present guarded the coast of the netherlands and prevented the egress of the duke of parma the peril of england would indeed be great this must be prevented but the english commanders felt how difficult it was for their small ships to destroy the huge spanish galleons considering their hugeness said sir william winter whom the lord admiral asked for counsel it will not be possible to remove them but by a device the device was soon contrived six of the oldest vessels in the fleet were converted into fire-ships and on sunday night were dispatched against the armada a wind sprang up which drifted them successfully to their destination a panic seized the spaniards some of whom had been present at the siege of antwerp and shuddered at the thought of the explosion of jambelli's infernal machine a cry was raised the fire-ships of antwerp the fire-ships of antwerp the terrified sailors cut their cables in their eagerness to escape and the ships fell into confusion some came into collision some were burnt by the fire-ships the rest were driven by the wind and tide northwards along the flemish coast the english pursued and on monday july twenty ninth there was a hot engagement off gravelines the english ships refused to come to close quarters but poured showers of musketry on the spanish vessels while the spaniards on their part shot badly and inflicted little loss on the english the armada suffered severely and as the gale increased became more and more helpless before it the english had soon spent all their ammunition but still gave chase while the spaniards were driven on up the north sea at last lord howard who had neither powder shot nor provisions thought that he had put on a brave countenance long enough as he returned on sunday august fourth there blew a tremendous gale which scattered his fleet for a while but they all arrived safely in margate roads at last the spaniards fared more severely in the northern seas 
some were driven on the shores of norway some were wrecked on the coast of scotland some on ireland the miserable remnant of the fleet after being driven by the tempest round the hebrides at last reached spain early in october fifty-three ships only out of the one hundred and thirty-two ten thousand men out of the thirty thousand found their way home philip's projected invasion had hopelessly failed mainly because no steps were taken to secure the junction between the troops of parma and the fleet of medina sidonia the enterprise was skilfully devised but it was ponderous and admitted of no modification if any calculation failed it fell in pieces before the bold and rapid attacks of the light english vessels and the fury of the elements neither of which it was adapted to face if the armada had effected a landing and had conveyed alexander of parma to england it is impossible to say what would have been the result elizabeth's land forces had gathered at tilbury under the command of leicester to defend london but they were only raw recruits ill-fitted to face the veterans of spain under such a general as parma elizabeth in the hour of need showed true tudor spirit she went herself among her troops and when her counsellors through fear of catholic plots begged her not to show herself in public let tyrants fear she answered i have always so behaved myself that under god i have placed my chiefest strength and safeguard in the loyal hearts and goodwill of my subjects and therefore i am come amongst you as you see resolved in the midst and heat of battle to live or die amongst you all i know that i have the body but of a weak and feeble woman but i have the heart of a king and of a king of england too the volunteers at tilbury were stirred to deep enthusiasm but it was well that england's fleet saved her from the risk of trusting to leicester's generalship and the undisciplined valour of recruits the armada had failed and its failure marked a decisive moment in the history of europe it told that the power of spain was declining and that england had again risen to be a great power in europe but this was a result not seen at once philip himself received the news of the fate of the armada with his usual constancy he did not change countenance i sent it he said against man not against the billows i thank god by whose generous hand i am gifted with such power that i could easily if i chose place another fleet upon the seas he did not give up his design but only resolved to make the next attempt more wisely but there is a tide in the affairs of men and philip was never destined to have leisure or means for another attempt affairs in france claimed his attention a reaction against the power of spain set in throughout europe england could wreck on spain a ruinous revenge and philip dragged spain into hopeless bankruptcy by his great schemes which were always on the verge of succeeding but always missed that complete success which alone was worth having end of section twenty